This is Side 2. Coming up. Castle Milk Teen left with broken neck and hit and run. My attackers have made it worse running away. Landlord Harpal Singh banned from renting flats by Glasgow City Council. Cruel vandals wreck tributes at war graves in Lanark. Almost three quarters of millennials admit they have no idea how to change a tyre. Woman's head snapped on and smashed into railings in horrific attack by stranger. Review. Rumours of Fleetwood Mac at Glasgow's Royal Concert Hall. St Johnston 1, Hamilton Academical 0. The Perth men secure premiership status as Aki's curse a bad start. Pyramid Scheme. SJFA head lifts lid on move to alter juniors forever. Celtic 3, Ross County 0. Brendan Rodgers' side stretch their lead to 12 points as Lee Griffiths returns. Motherwell 2, Rangers 2. Graham Murty's side salvage a point at Fir Park. Motherwell 0, Aberdeen 2. Derek McInnes' men go second after an easy win at Fir Park. Ross County 4, Partick Thistle 0. Alex Schalk hat-trick helps send Thistle bottom of the pile. This article from the Evening Times News on the 4th of April 2018. Castle Milk Teen left with broken neck and hit and run. My attackers have made it worse running away. This article was unattributed. A brief teenager who was mowed down by a maniac motorist has said her attackers have made it worse for themselves by running away. Royson Walker, 14, has spoken for the first time since the horror attack in Castle Milk's Stravanian Road, which happened on March the 24th. The St Margaret Mary's third-year schoolgirl was seriously injured and suffered a broken neck in the hit-and-run which rocked the Southside community. She told the Scottish son, I was telling everyone not to call my mum. I didn't want her to worry. I don't remember everything about it. One minute I was talking to my pals and the next thing everything went blank. I came round and the first thing I remember doing was trying to get up. I was in hysterics and crying. What happened? What happened? She added there was screaming and crying and I saw two of my pals with injuries. I was so confused. I had a sore neck and an arm and a knee was bleeding. Two shop workers helped me onto a crate and stopped me moving. The worker said I'd been hit by the car and it had driven away. I was telling everyone not to call my mum because I didn't want her to worry. The car hit Royson and her four pals, but she was left with serious injuries. She, however, has since made a remarkable recovery. She said, Every day I've done more and more, and on Sunday I walked. The medics expected it to be a lot longer. She also branded the driver's responsible disgusting as police continue their hunt for him and a passenger. She said it was selfish. They'd rather make sure they were okay than kids. They had knocked down. Running away made it worse for themselves, though maybe they shouldn't try to run folk down in the first place. However, I realise it could have been much worse. Cops are treating the incident as attempted murder. The teenagers were hit with a silver-coloured Vauxhall Astra, which was later found burnt out in Carmanock. Anyone with information should contact CID officers at Cathcart Police Station via 101, Quoting reference number 2777 
of the 24th of March 2018. Alternatively, please call Crime Stoppers on 0800 where information can be given anonymously. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News. On the 4th of April 2018, landlord Harpal Singh banned from renting flats by Glasgow City Council. This article by the local democracy reporter Alan Ferguson, the father of a man who died in a blaze in a death trap flat, has told of his horror and the landlord was still renting out unsafe flats. Despite his role in the tragedy which killed students James Fraser and Daniel Heron, Paul Harpel Singh continued to rent out flats illegally with 14 properties recently found lacking in basic fire safety measures. He has now been banned by Glasgow City Council for life for letting out flats. In March 1999, a fire broke out at a basement flat on Melrose Street where James Daniel and Christopher Lewis were staying. James and Daniel lost their lives while Christopher was pulled from the burning flat by firefighters. A sheriff ruled the boys would likely have all lived if there had been a working smoke alarm and if they were not sealed into the house with metal bars over the windows. James's dad sadly said, on the basis Harpel Singh is back out of prison and does not seem to have learned anything about the tragedy in 1999, I'm horrified. We hope that James and Daniel's accident that he would have changed his ways, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Some good has come out of the incident with changes to HMO, but to see Harpal Singh has still been operating is very, very worrying. James told how he and the family will never be able to recover from the shock of losing James. He said after an incident like that, you lose your son, and I have to just get on with life. But without a shadow of doubt, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about James and what he'd be doing. I speak for his mother, brothers and sisters. They are well. Six of Singh's flats were placed under closure orders in November 2017, while unlicensed, the 64-year-old had been renting out his properties as houses in multiple occupancy and has accumulated an unpaid council tax bill of £150,000. Councillors on the Licensing and Regulatory Committee condemned the Newlands man record and banned him from becoming a registered landlord. The council has been building a case against Singh since he applied to become a landlord again in 2013. A catalogue of dangers were exposed in a report to councillors following a visit by inspectors in November 2017 to his properties. Some of the issues included a lack of smoke alarms, no carbon monoxide alarms, damaged floors, damp windows that do not open, a leaking boiler, no window vents and cracked windows. He was found to be leasing the flats out as HMOs despite being unlicensed which could result in a £50,000 fine. The current occupants of Singh's flats have been advised of their rights. The rogue landlord is apparently going to be selling his properties to pay for the £150,000 council tax bill, which he caused by mismanagement of his properties. When questioning Singh, committee members became exasperated. He contradicted himself at one point, claiming he visited his flats every day, before revealing he has not visited them in three months. This article by local democracy reporter Alan Ferguson. This article from the Evening Times News on the 4th of April 2018. 
Cruel Vandals, Wreck Tributes at Wargraves in Lanark. This article by reporter Stacey Mullen. Cruel Vandals Wrecked Tributes at Wargraves in the Cemetery. Cops are investigating the incident at St Mary's Cemetery in Hindford Road, Lanark, which happened on March the 30th. The Evening Times understands the volunteer was attending to Wargraves when they discovered the vandalism. Around 40 wreaths, flowers and ornaments were scattered around the area. Some could not be identified and returned to the correct place. Anyone who has information is asked to contact Police Scotland on 101, quoting incident number 2340 of the 30th of the 3rd, 18. This article by reporter Stacey Mullen. The Evening Times on Wednesday the 4th of April 2018. News section. Almost three quarters of millennials admit they have no idea how to change a tyre. This article from the Evening Times online. Nearly three quarters of millennials admit they have no idea how to change a car tyre, a study has found. Just 27% of 18 to 23 year olds reckon they could carry out the roadside repair, compared to more than 40% of those aged over 36. More than a third of millennials also admitted they would struggle to confidently open a car bonnet, while 34% don't know what power steering does. And only half of under 35s, polled by TV show Flipping Bangers, know how to check and top up the oil level on their car. As a result, 63% of millennials have never tried to fix, repair or modify a car they have bought. The show's host, Gus Gregory, said, Most people get into their cars, turn the key and drive away, without really knowing anything about the reasons why something goes wrong when it does. It seems that under-35s are the least equipped to deal with basic issues and repairs, such as changing a tyre or replacing a windscreen blade. We think it's a good idea for everyone, no matter what age, to learn the basic and normally most vital principles of car maintenance. As seen in our show, Flipping Bangers, even some of the simplest mechanical knowledge can turn an old and rusty banger back into a beautiful and iconic car. His co-host, Will Trickett, added, Thanks to the internet, there are loads of ways to learn how to fix things in a car. All it takes is a bit of time and elbow grease, and you could save yourself a lot of money. The poll of 2,000 people found that more than 1 in 10 under 35s believe power steering is designed to help the car brake, and the same amount have no idea ABS stands for Anti-Lock Braking System. 4 in 10 millennials would even struggle to know how to top up their levels of screen wash to keep their windscreens clear. However, young drivers do have one ace up their sleeve. They're more likely than their older counterparts to know how to connect their phone to the car's Bluetooth system. Interestingly, more young than old people rate their general knowledge of car parts and maintenance as excellent, despite the evidence. While they're looking for information on car repairs, almost twice as many millennials will consult YouTube for data, while the older generation are more likely to browse a book for an answer. It's not only in the car where the younger generation's lack of knowledge is inevitable, as many of them struggle with basic DIY tasks. Three times as many over 36-year-olds would be confident wiring a plug, compared to their younger counterparts and twice the number of non-millennials will have a bash at fixing a leaky tap than those aged under 36, who would immediately run for help. The results also found millennials are twice as likely to call someone else for help with car or general DIY maintenance. The top 20 things millennials would struggle to do are 1. Fix a leaky tap 2. Rewire a plug 3. Change a headlight bulb 4. Bleed a radiator 5. Change a car tyre 6. Jump start a car with a flat battery 7. Replace the wiper blades 
8. Change a fuse. 9. Check the tread depth on car tyres. 10. Put up a shelf. 11. Unblock the sink. 12. Descale a kettle. 13. Connecting a phone to the car radio. 14. Flat pack furniture. 15. Top up the oil in the car. 16. Change a light bulb. 17. Check the tyre pressures on the car. 18. Find the spare tyre. 19. Check the oil levels in a car. And 20. Fill up the screen wash. This article was from the Evening Times Online. This article from the Evening Times News on the 4th of April 2018. This article from the 3rd of April. Woman's head snapped on and smashed into railings and horrific attack by stranger. This article was unattributed. A woman whose head was repeatedly stamped on and smashed into railings by a random stranger is demanding justice for the unprovoked attack. Lawyer Natalie Malt, 37, was returning from a night out with friends in the early hours of Sunday morning when she was brutally beaten in the street. She suffered severe bruising to her right eye and both cheeks, swelling to her head and hand, cuts inside her mouth, a chipped tooth and missing hair in the attack. Natalie has released pictures of her swollen and bloodied face in a bid to help find her attacker. She and her friend caught a taxi to another friend's home in Stamford Links after going for drinks in town. They were waiting for the others to arrive when they were approached by a woman at around 2.30am. Natalie said a few steps to the front door have a railing and I was next to the railing on the step. The attacker came towards me shouting abuse. I don't remember the words exactly, as I was shocked at the situation. Before I could get up or move, she had put her hands through the railings and grabbed my hair. Pulling my hair, she smashed my head into the railings repeatedly. As my face hit the railings, I twisted to the floor, and she stamped on my head. I held my hand up to protect my eyes, and then stamped on my hand. Natalie described the attacker, who said she did not recognise as having a lover pulling a northern accent, brown hair and a fringe. Her friend stepped in to try and protect her, but was also attacked by the women. She said, my friend is traumatised and too frightened to go out in public. Natalie described her friend as having bruising on her face, body and clumps of hair missing from her head. She eventually managed to wiggle towards the front door, screaming out for help, at which point the neighbours came to the pier's aid. Natalie said, police and an ambulance arrived and were at hospital nearly six hours. She said she had suffered swelling and bruising to her right eye and cheeks, bruising and swelling to her head and hands, cuts inside her mouth, a chipped tooth and missing hair, among other injuries. She added, I'm feeling overwhelmed and so upset at this experience. I am also in a lot of pain. I just want justice for the ferocity and brutal nature of the attack. I want the attacker caught so no one is exposed to her brutality. Right now I'm very upset. I can't stop crying and feel so emotional talking to what this person did to me. Lincolnshire police have been contacted for comment. This article was unattributed. The Evening Times on Wednesday the 4th of April 2018 Entertainment Section Review Rumours of Fleetwood Mac at Glasgow's Royal Concert Hall This article by senior reporter Caroline Wilson 
1969, Fleetwood Mac sold more records than the Beatles and the Stones combined. The band were still eight years away from their best-selling album, Rumours, which is taking centre stage at tonight's gig at the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow. Before the show starts, there's an endorsement from Mr Fleetwood himself via a video link, and you know it's going to be a decent tribute. The band open with second-hand news, Lindsay Buckingham's bitter lament on a dying relationship with former girlfriend Stevie Nicks, and James Harrison does a fine job. It's followed by the Stevie showpiece, Dreams. Jessica Miller is an incredibly good match for her warm, husky tones, no mean feat, most noticeably here and later on Sarah and Landslide. If you close your eyes, it's almost her in her 70s heyday. It's an absolute joy to hear the entire Rumours album, with an additional track, Silver Silver Springs, added that the band dropped from the album, a sweet country-heavy love song. After a break, we are taken back to the Peter Green Blues, rock era of Fleetwood, with I Need Your Love So Bad So Bad and Oh Well, which goes down well with the male contingent in the audience. Fast forward to 1982 and the gorgeous Gypsy, and then it's straight on to Tango in the Night, at the band's triumphant 80s comeback. The musicians have to be exceptional for a tribute band to work. In some cases, they're probably better than the originals, and in this case, they deliver. The show was scheduled to be held at the Pavilion Theatre, but was moved to the Royal Concert Hall due to last month's fire, and probably benefited from the better acoustics. The glorious Tell Me Lies has the crowd on their feet, Emily Gervers is a good match for McVie, and Everywhere gets even more females up and singing along. They close with the sultry Rhiannon, an acoustic version of Big Love, and Tusk, giving the Mick lookalike Alan Cosgrove a chance to show off his drumming. If you missed the Glasgow Fleetwood Mac dates, and I was lucky enough to be there a few years back, this is the next best thing. This article was by senior reporter Caroline Wilson. Remember, you no longer need to receive a weekly digest service on tape, but can access more daily content via our website, www.qandreview.com forward slash free podcasts, accessible via your computer, tablet or mobile device. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 29th of March 2018, Sports Section. St Johnston 1, Hamilton Academical 0. The Perth men secure premiership status as Aki's curse a bad start. This article by Neil Cameron, originally published on Wednesday the 28th of March 2018. St Johnston may have flirted with relegation for a week or so, but there's now next to no chance of them going down. The Perth men's win over Hamilton lifted them to 7th in the Premiership, 12 points ahead of the playoff place and 15 above the bottom spot, with 7 games remaining. It's not been a great campaign, but they're going to be fine. As for Hamilton, they still have a bit of work to do. They were awful in the first half, which cost them any real chance of taking a point here, although they did have opportunities to score late on. I think it buys us some breathing space, said a happy Tommy Wright, the St Johnston manager. There are five teams beneath us now, and everyone still has to play each other. That's us on 37 points, and you'd be unlucky to be dragged into the playoff with that amount. Plus, we want to get more points because we're on a bit of a run now, and we want to win some more games between now and the end of the season. The table looks a lot healthier tonight, and I'm pleased for the players. We look more like ourselves in recent weeks. I was happy with the performance, and we deserve to win, even if we should have scored a few more goals in the first half. But I'll take a 1-0. But I'd take a 1-0. It got a bit nervy towards the end, but we were the better side. Four minutes had passed when St Johnston scored what was, for them, a simple goal, 
and for Hamilton, one which is the coaching staff in tears, it was to prove the winner. From a corner taken by Blair Aston, Liam Craig flicked on, Stephen McLean might have got a touch, and the ball seemed to go in off Aki's Scott McMahon. The home side almost doubled their lead within a few minutes. Another Alston corner caused panic in a Hamilton defence, which was still in the dressing room. The ball fell at the foot of Chris Kane, whose shot was blocked a few yards from goal by Rakesh Bingham. It was all St Johnston. Alston's delivery had Hamilton all over the place. They didn't pick up Kane on 24 minutes. Alston's cross picked out the striker, and his header was just a couple of inches too high. McMahon saved a goal when he took a sore one when blocking a shot from Alston after great work by Scott Tanzer. Hamilton did improve after the break. They had far more energy and at least looked like a team, but the final ball cost them, as it has for much of this season. In saying that, a fine save from St Johnston keeper Alan Manis on 69 minutes denied the Ackies an equaliser. A David Templeton corner was punched by Manis. The ball fell to Darian McKinnon. He shot first time and the goalie reacted superbly to get himself down on the ball, almost under his own crossbar. Templeton was a real highlight for Ackies, and his free kick with 15 to go forced Manis into some more work. And the same Hamilton man had a goal-bound shot deflected just wide before Manus did well again to keep out a Doogie Imry header. Where was this in the first half from Martin Canning's side? It was frustrating because that was a big opportunity for us to take three points and look up the way instead of pulling out our best results when our backs are against the wall, said the Hamilton manager. There wasn't much in it. and the first half, we didn't do enough. The second half, we created a few chances. And should we are 2-1 up against Ross County and get done with a set piece and end up taking one point instead of three and it's happened again against St Johnston, which stops us from taking a point. And that's poor. This article was by Neil Cameron. The Evening Times. On Thursday the 29th of March 2018. Sports section. Pyramid scheme. SJFA head lifts lid on move to alter juniors forever. This exclusive article is by Neil Cameron. Those deeply involved in the world of Scottish junior football can be awfully sniffy about the senior game. Well, maybe not all of it. Back in the day, it was commonplace for one of the big boys to farm out their best youngsters to a local side for some toughening up. Cumbernauld United are rightly ploughed that one Kenny Dalgleish spent a season with them at the beginning of his career. But it was always fun watching the reaction from some long-serving committee member whenever the mere notion of their club becoming a senior member was put to them. The juniors were just fine, thank you very much. They had good players, better than many senior teams, strong clubs, and in many ways played by their own rules. It worked well for years. So many, and this is inarguable, were bigger and better run than those who ply their trades in what is now League 1 and League 2, perhaps even higher up. However, the juniors weren't interested in going anywhere, not that there was any chance, as the senior ranks was a closed shop. And now everything's changed. The pyramid scheme, introduced in 2013, gives clubs from the non-leagues a pathway, once denied to them, to the SPFL, a road which Edinburgh City went down in 2016. But the traditional junior sides bided their time, until now. A total of 99 clubs have voted for joining the pyramid, with 55 rejecting the proposal. There are obstacles in the way and no concrete timeline. As of today, only 15 of the 154 clubs meet the entry-level club licensing committee, which is essentially facilities and infrastructure. But this is happening. Junior football across the country will soon change forever. Kelty Hearts moved last season from the Super League in the junior ranks to the East of Scotland League. And others such as Clyde Bank and Bonnie Rig Rose are set to do the same. That trickle could become a stream. The SFA will discuss at their April board meeting proposals that the juniors should join the system. 
Scottish Junior Football Association Secretary Tom Johnston has written to the SFA's stand-in chief executive, Andrew McKinley, to inform him of the result of the vote, with clubs expected to thrash out plans at an EGM to be held in the coming weeks. It's understood that, having been involved in discussions surrounding the possible shake-up for some time, the SFA is generally receptive to what would be a major change to Scottish football outside the SPFL. However, some issues remain to be ironed out, not least the entry level of junior clubs, with some keen to bypass the east of Scotland and south of Scotland layer of the pyramid to join at Tier 5, the same as the Lowland League and the Highland League, and just a playoff victory away from League 2. There's a lot to be done. Johnston is on the phone when I chap on his office door on the sixth floor of Hamden Park at the appointed time for our chat on Wednesday morning. His phone has been ringing non-stop for the past few days, and life isn't about to get any less frantic. When the pyramid system was first set up, we took part in the discussions and the feeling of the clubs at the time was that it wasn't for them, he tells me. One of the main reasons was they had to get a licence and clubs were not in a position financially or otherwise to enter the pyramid. In the Highland League, for example, part of the criteria is that you need floodlights. That's 80 grand a pop. Plus there was the fact that we had, and indeed have, a strong product. Teams such as Pollock and Arthur Lee would rather play together because, and this is true, at the bottom end of the pyramid the standard is possibly not as good as it is in junior football. That was true, but things are changing, and quickly. The standard in the east of Scotland and lowland leagues is far better than it was a few years ago. That's why after over a year of talks and proposals being put back and forth, the clubs voted overwhelmingly to join the pyramid. How this literally happens remains to be seen. Johnston obviously wants his clubs to stay where they are, but his fear is some will go. This decision hasn't been taken lightly, he said. There's a lot of discussion still to be had. We need to put some meat on the bones and go back to the members at the EGM. We don't want to lose our better teams, or any teams for that matter, so there's been a bit of a turmoil over the past few weeks. Can I be honest? I didn't see this day coming. I always felt the clubs, at least some of them, would want to join the pyramid, but I thought it would be a more gradual progression to it. What we have tried to do is maintain the identity of the juniors, but that will be diluted through time. We have 132 years of history, and it would be a great pity to lose that. We are where we are, and the clubs feel the need to take this step forward. If we can maintain our identity and be part of the pyramid as the Scottish Junior Football Association, then that might lighten the blow going forward. So who are the ones who could well be challenging for the SPFL soon? That's difficult to say, admitted Johnston. I don't know the finances of the clubs. It would be down to how much they would be prepared to invest in their facilities to get a licence. Some would be chapping the door, such as Pollock and Peters Hill. They wouldn't be far away. We could lose them over a period of time. Bonnie Rig Rose and talking about going to the East of Scotland League, but other top clubs would need major investment. This is the stage we're at. Maybe we did stand still for a while. We took a watching view of the pyramid, and I think it's right that now the clubs have a say on where we go. One negative about progress is that some always get left behind. The clubs which voted against this are too small to ever have any chance of emulating Edinburgh City, and it could mean that they will lose old rivals. However, this day has been coming, and there will be clubs in League One, League Two, and yes, even the Championship, looking over their shoulders. This article was an exclusive by Neil Cameron. The Evening Times, on Tuesday, the 3rd of April 2018, Sports Section. Celtic 3, Ross County 0. Brendan Rodgers' side stretch their lead to 12 points as Lee Griffiths returns. This article by Chief Football Writer Matthew Lindsay, originally published on Saturday the 31st of March 2018. 
Celtic fans had double cause for celebration today as their team extended their lead at the top of the Ladbrokes Premiership table to 12 points with a comfortable 3-0 win and Lee Griffiths made his comeback from injury. A first half Moussa Dembele penalty and second half goals from Stuart Armstrong and Tom Rojic ensured that Brendan Rodgers' team pulled further away from Rangers and Aberdeen in the table. The Glasgow club's cause were made a lot easier when their rivals were reduced to 10 men. Andrew Davis was sent off for an appalling challenge on Scott Brown six minutes before half-time. Despite the defeat, the Dingwall club remained just three points behind Partick in the league, as the Furlough club also slumped to a loss against Hibernian away at Easter Road. The day ended on a huge high for the defending champions, as Scotland striker Griffiths, who has been sidelined for over two months with a calf injury, came on for Dembele. Rodgers made three changes to the team which had been held to a 0-0 draw by Motherwell at Fir Park just before the international break. Mikhail Lustig replaced Jack Hendry in defence. Armstrong came in for Olivier Nicham in central midfield, while Scott Sinclair took the place of Odson Edward out wide. Ross County caretaker managers Stephen Ferguson and Stuart Kettlewell, meanwhile, made the same number of alterations to the team which had earned a 2-2 draw with Hamilton in Dingwall a fortnight earlier. Ross Draper, Jamie Lindsay, who's on loan at County from Celtic, and Tim Chow dropped out as Craig Curran, Jim O'Brien and Harry Souter came in. The Highlanders' track record against their Glasgow opponents hardly gave them hope that they could pull off an upset. They'd never won against them in the top flight in 16 previous meetings. The visitors started well. Billy Mackay forced a save from Scott Bain, who remained between the sticks ahead of Doris de Vries in the fifth minute after being put through on goal by Alex Schalk. But the home team, with Armstrong involved in all of their best moves going forward, soon took control of the game and lead siege to their rival's goal. It was no surprise to anyone inside the stadium when they broke the deadlock in the 25th minute. Jason Naismith tripped Sinclair inside his own area, and referee Stephen McLean had no hesitation in pointing to the spot. Mr Dembele stepped up to take, and sent keeper Aaron McCary the wrong way and put his team ahead. The Celtic supporters had something more to cheer just a minute later when Griffiths emerged from the dugout to warm up in front of the Jock Stein stand with his fellow substitutes. Davies scythed down his opposing skipper Brown in the 39th minute and quickly found himself surrounded by irate Celtic players. McLean showed the Englishman a straight red card and he walked off to the boos of the home support. McCary joined his captain in the dressing room shortly before half-time. The keeper trudged off injured and was replaced by Scott Fox. Jack Hendry, who made his Scotland debut against Hungary on Tuesday evening, came on for Dedrick Boyata at the start of the second half, and Celtic quickly built on their lead when Armstrong got his name on the score sheet three minutes after the restart. Tom Rojic made it three on the hour mark, with the best goal of the game. After receiving the ball from James Forrest outside him, he sidestepped Liam Fontaine and slotted beyond Fox. There were no more goals, but when Griffiths came on for Dembele in the 71st minute, it raised a huge cheer from the Celtic supporters. Brown and his teammates are now 12 points clear of Rangers and Aberdeen, with seven games remaining. This article was by Chief Football Writer Matthew Lindsay. The Evening Times, on Tuesday the 3rd of April 2018. Sports Section. Motherwell 2, Rangers 2. Graham Murty's side salvage a point at Fir Park. This article by Group Senior Sports Writer Christopher Jack, originally published on Saturday, the 31st of March 2018. Rangers came from two goals down to rescue a point at Fir Park as they avoided a third successive Premiership defeat. 
Curtis Main and Alan Campbell put Stephen Robinson's side in control inside the opening 17 minutes in Lanarkshire. But a James Tavernier penalty and a strike from Jamie Murphy against his former club earned the Light Blues a share of the spoils. Boss Graham Murty made two changes from the side that lost to Kilmarnock before the international break as Graham Dorans made his first appearance since October and Alfredo Morelos returned in attack. The switches should have given Rangers more attacking threat, but they showed little in the final third as a series of defensive lapses put them on the back foot. It took Motherwell just eight minutes to break the deadlock as Main fired home from the spot. The striker had beaten Bruno Alves too easily and turned the ball into the path of Chris Cadden. Russell Martin bundled the midfielder over and referee Nick Walsh pointed to the spot. Main kept his cool, sending Wes Fodringham the wrong way to give the Steelmen a dream start. There was no response from Rangers as they struggled to assert themselves and the confidence was flowing on the Robinson side. With just 17 minutes on the clock, they were 2-0 up. Main was again involved as he easily brushed James Tavernier off the ball and found Campbell as he burst into the area. His finish was clinical as he found the bottom corner and Motherwell more than merited their advantage. As the home crowd celebrated, the away support were stunned. There was almost nothing to give them any hope of a second-half rescue mission at that stage. Trevor Carson got a strong hand to deny Murphy on the angle, but the best chances continued to come Motherwell's way. Campbell's pass in behind found Cadden, and he was unlucky to see his effort clip the bar on the half-hour mark. And there was almost another goal for Maine, as he once again got the better of Bruno Alves. His shot from a tight angle was just over the bar, though, as Motherwell had to settle for a two-goal lead at the break. Rangers were, rightly, booed off as they made their way back to the dressing room, and Murty faced one of the most important team talks of his short managerial career. Within eight minutes of the restart, the light blues were level. Tavernier sparked the comeback as he converted from the spot after being fouled by Elliot Freer, and Murphy then netted on his return to Fur Park to bring the Jers level. The winger drifted in from the left and his shot was just beyond the outstretched Carson and inside the post. For the first time, it was Motherwell that were under pressure. Main almost curled home a spectacular third from the edge of the area before he blasted a free kick high over the bar. It was an end-to-end contest now as both sides went for the win rather than settling for a share of the spoils. Carson made another smart stop to deny Daniel Candias after Josh Windus capitalised on a slack pass from Maine before he gathered a drive from the Englishman at the second attempt. This was Rangers' best spell of the game, but Motherwell were still a threat and Richard Tate should have done better with a header from a Charles Dunn cross. Fur Park was poised for a thrilling finale and Murty added Jason Cummings to the mix as he took over for the injured Windus for the closing stages. The striker couldn't get a strong enough connection on a weak effort in injury time before Morelos fired a shot into the near post when he had options in the middle of the area. Rangers had a spell of pressure at the death, but the points were shared at the end of an entertaining top-flight clash. This article was by group senior sports writer Christopher Jack. The Evening Times on Wednesday the 4th of April 2018 Sports Section Motherwell nil, Aberdeen 2 Derek McInnes' men go second after an easy win at Fir Park. This article by Neil Cameron. Aberdeen moved three points ahead of Rangers and into second place in the Premiership thanks to a deserved and in the end straightforward win at Fir Park. There had remained the slightest chance of Motherwell pushing Hearts aside before the Premiership split in two after this weekend, even if the goal difference would have been against the Lanarkshire men should they have won. 
However, the top six was confirmed by this result by an Aberdeen side superior in every aspect. The pitch was wetter than an otter's bathing cap, which didn't help the players put on much of a show. This was a dress rehearsal for the Scottish Cup semi-final in ten days' time at Hampden. Motherwell had better say their lines better than they did here. The first chance for anyone fell to Aberdeen, or rather, they engineered it, after 19 minutes. It was the beginning of a dominant performance. Greg Stewart collected the ball close to the right touchline, made Motherwell left-back Stephen Hendry look a bit silly by dribbling past him with too much ease. His run took him well into the box, but his shot was a touch wild. Then Kenny McLean, the outstanding player on the park, saw a shot deflected wide as Aberdeen started to pin back their hosts. And on 21 minutes, Stewart crossed to the back post for McLean, whose netbound header was blocked by the alert Hendry. As good as Motherwell were in the first half against Rangers at the weekend when they scored twice and should have had plenty more, there was a lack of cohesion in his performance. Curtis Main was well marshalled, which was certainly not the case on Saturday. The home side did a lot of blocking and clearing. However, they did get up the park after 39 minutes when Richard Tate blaked out Ryan Bowman at the back post and while his header wasn't going in, Aberdeen keeper Joe Lewis still had to pan the ball away. McLean was involved in just about everything and his dipping shot before the break was, at least, on target. Motherwell almost took what would at this stage have been a surprise lead 90 seconds into the second half. Chris Cadden bent the ball from a corner onto the edge of the six-yard box Tom Aldred got to it first, and while his header had power, it lacked precision. Motherwell had come to life. Big Main, who had been quiet, made Carrie Arnasson look like a small child as he turned him, and his fierce left foot shot was saved by Lewis at the second attempt. This was more like it from the home side, but with big Cedric Kipre at the back, there will always be chances for the opposition. The defender is actually a decent player, but concentration is an issue. On 62 minutes, Kipre was chasing a ball played towards his own area, and while it seemed he was in control of the situation, the ball bobbled off him, and that allowed Stevie May a shot at goal, which he spurned. Aberdeen, however, were not to be denied, and on 66 minutes broke the deadlock. From a McLean corner, which seemed to hang in the air, Arnasson got above everyone and gave Carson's with as powerful a header as you could hope to see. It was all over minutes later. Stewart laid off the ball to McLean on the edge of the box, and the moment the ball left his left foot, he just knew it was beating Carson. If there was any consolation for Motherwell, it was that McLean is suspended for the semi-final. This article was by Neil Cameron. The Evening Times, on Wednesday the 4th of April 2018. Sports section. Ross County 4, Partick Thistle 0. Alex Schalk hat-trick helps send Thistle bottom of the pile. This article by Graham McGarry, originally published on Tuesday, the 3rd of April, 2018. Ross County dragged Partick Thistle deep into the relegation mire and gave themselves a huge lifeline in the process, with a thumping win over shockingly poor Thistle outfit at the Global Energy Stadium. Alex Schalk was the hero as his hat-trick, along with a Ross Draper goal, saw the home side trade places with the shambolic visitors at the foot of the table on goal difference, making it game on in the battle to stay in the division. Thistle will hope it isn't game over, but they will have to pick themselves up quickly for the remaining six games after this abysmal display. For County, holding themselves off the bottom of the Premiership pile for the first time this year, hope now springs anew. For Thistle, the mood is gloomier than the murkiest of Dingwall skies, with their recent record making for grim reading. 
They are now without a win in their last nine and haven't managed goal in their last four games. As season-defining matches come, they don't get much bigger than this, and the magnitude of the occasion was evident among both sets of players. The ball was as black and blue as the county strip in the opening exchanges, with defenders booming it forward at every opportunity and both sets of forwards working off as scraps. In such circumstances, set pieces usually proved to be crucial, and they were the best source of opportunity for both sides early on. Thistle had the first chance, as an in-swinging corner from a former county man, Martin Woods, was glanced towards goal by Bailey Cargill, but a combination of Scott Fox and the near post managed to keep it out, before Cornish Salmon's follow-up effort was blocked clear. County should have taken the lead from their own set-piece opportunity as a free kick from Michael Gardine found the towering Harry Souter unmarked in the area, but his header skewed well wide of the target, when really he should have been working Ryan Scully. The match had descended into the type of scrappy, tense encounter that was always likely to be on the cards given what was at stake, with both sides struggling to string together a couple of passes, let alone carve out any goal-mouth action to warm up the freezing supporters. The stalemate was finally broken ten minutes before the interval, as Max Melbourne broke into the area and was halted by the challenge of Niall Keown, only for the ball to spin back to Schalk, who provided a rare moment of quality by touching the ball onto his right foot and drilling it into the net, low to Scully's right. That was all the encouragement they needed, and remarkably they soon doubled their lead, though Thistle will be bitterly disappointed by how passive their defending was as they conceded such a crucial goal. A corner from the right was swung to the back post by Schalk, and Draper simply wanted the ball more than the visiting defenders as he powered a header home. Thistle manager Alan Archibald made a double change at the break as Chris Erskine and Blair Spittle replaced Miles Storey and Ryan Edwards, but it was County who came out of the traps to threaten first, the man Schalk getting a yard of space and firing from just over 25 yards. The Dutch forward had another good opportunity as the Thistle backline allowed a long clearance to simply bounce through them and put him in on goal, but from a tight angle he could only shoot high and wide. He did have the ball in the net moments later, only to be denied by the offside flag, but the ease at which County were now getting in behind the Thistle back line was striking, and it seemed a matter of time before they delivered the coup de grace. They duly did just ten minutes after the restart, and it was no surprise to see who got the goal. A long ball from Scott Fox in the county goal was dealt with in miserable fashion by the Thistle defence, and Schalk raced in, opened up his body, and placed the ball brilliantly into the far corner. The goal knocked out what little stuffing was left in the visitors, with the response meek to non-existent. In fact, it would get even worse for the Firhill men, as Marcus Fraser sauntered past Adam Barton and into the area, where Scully saved his close-range effort, and Schalk reacted quickest to bundle in for his hat-trick off the underside of the bar. You couldn't help but feel for the hardy band of 247 Thistle supporters who had travelled through the wind, snow and hail at great expense to witness such a supine display. It was a long way back to the warmth of their beds, and though they are still level on points with County at the bottom of the table, on this evidence it will be a long way back for Thistle in the fight for survival. The referee was Willie Collum. The attendance was 3,944. This article was by Graham McGarry. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Evening Times. This weekly talking newspaper digest was a Q&Review recording service production. The readers were volunteers at Q&Review and the producer was Jay Kidd. Q&Review Recording Service Limited is a registered Scottish charity. Number SC018016. Our registered office is at 18 Crowhill Road, 
Bishop Briggs, Glasgow, G641QY. Remember, you can always get in contact with us by email at information at qandreview.com or by leaving us a message on our answering service at 0141 772 3976. Remember to return your cassette in the wallet provided. Just flip over the address label and post it back to us.